The hiatus is over, and we're back for another edition of the Nosebleeds podcast. Surging towards playoff time, perfect time to get back together. I'm Manuel Barbari. I have Jackson Heil to my left, Jimmy Sullivan right across from me. Guys, it's been too long. You got a big old smile on your face. <laughs> I do. I'm very excited. We didn't... Baseball talk, <laughs> September, pennant we... race. Let's do it. As, as the Eagles once said, we didn't break up. We just went on a six-week vacation. Exactly. And the six-week vacation, a lot happened. It did. A lot happened. It certainly did. Especially with the Mets, who have been proclaimed dead about four times. And you'd think when they fell five games behind and Edwin Diaz goes complete meltdown in Washington, one of the crazier nights of the year, that their season was over. But all of a sudden, the Cubs don't know how to win. And now the Mets are two back. It's really insane what's happening in the National League, especially in the wild card race. I mean, it's obviously been the talk of Major League Baseball, but I mean... You look at how close the race is right now, especially with what the Mets are up ten nothing on the Diamondbacks. They won. As we they, speak. they won eleven to one. So yeah. they ended up beating the Diamondbacks. They're now a game and a half back of the Cubs and Brewers. The D backs fall to three back. Phillies are two uh, two back still. And then you have obviously the Cubs and the Brewers both tie for the second spot. And I mean the Nationals are only three and a half up on both of those teams. So things continue to get wild there. I mean, obviously the Christian Yelich injury kind of throws a whole loop in this entire thing but i mean you can't ask for much more the brewers are still winning though. They, they, <laughs> they keep on i mean what they've won they've won six in a row now to tie themselves with the cubs i mean keston higher has been a beast since he's been called up the brewers are getting pitching from any everywhere their bullpen's been solid so it, it's been awesome to watch what milwaukee's done especially being a craig council stan myself do you think about council for manager of the year if they make the playoffs? They haven't been good enough. And, and coming off an NLCS appearance like last year, I think they've massively underperformed. I know, but they've I don't had know a if lot it's of necessarily awful performance. I mean, obviously, Yelich you have, but, I mean, he's hurt right now. But I just think it was a matter of a massive overachievement last year. And I it was more of a kind of fall, regression to the norm, so to speak, in this occasion. But regardless, I mean, I, I think he's definitely one of the best managers in all of baseball, and he's got to be considered for it. I don't think he'll, he should win. Jimmy, are you back in on the Mets? <laughs> I'm always back in on the Mets. Okay. <laughs> you're out, and then you're back in, and now... Just this one time. Um, but yeah. They still got to <laughs> jump the Brewers and the Cubs, which is still tough to do when you have to jump two teams this late in the season, but when you look at the Mets' schedule, it's definitely foreseeable, and of course, the four-game sweep of a team they had to sweep or at least win the series against in the Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. a team that had been red hot going into this series. That's a big confidence boost and a big changer in the standings. Well, they went into this series. They were five games out. I mean, they were basically dead. They'd lost two out of three to Philadelphia, which was not a great series. They had a game on Sunday that was an absolute managerial disaster. <laughs> 16 pitchers used combined. Longest nine-inning game in the history of the Mets. Just a complete mess. But anyway... You know, I looked at this race a while back when the Mets started getting hot in, like, early August. And back then, it was Milwaukee. Instead of the Cubs, you had St. Louis, but the Cubs weren't really up by that much in the division. Then you had Philly, Arizona, San Francisco was kind of hanging on to life, but not really at that point. I kind of thought all those teams were more or less equal. I mean, they had strengths, they had weaknesses, but I thought they were all about even talent-wise. And I think that's how we're seeing it shake out. I mean, these yeah. te- there's not a ton, to me, separating Milwaukee, Chicago, Mets, Philadelphia, I think we could probably knock Arizona out of the race now. I don't think there's much separating those teams right now where I could look at any of those four and say they're going to win the wild card. It's like throwing darts at a dartboard at this point. And look, five back with a couple weeks to play is a lot of games. That's how weird this race is, that the Mets are all of a sudden back in it. Like, five back 
mid-September is a lot of games. That's like being eight back in August. Yeah. So I don't know how the Mets have worked back into it, but look, anything's possible in this race. With how much the Mets have been out in the back end, anything is possible. It's just like you guys said, just when you think you're out, they pull <laughs> me back, back in. in. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned they go from five games to two in, what, three days yeah. after beating the D-backs the way they did. And the Cubs don't want it's, it. It's not to mention that the D-backs were one of the hottest teams in baseball coming into that series. What did they win, 11 out of 13? Something in? crazy yeah. like Without that. Without Granky. Yeah, and the Mets just swept them with really no contest whatsoever. We're in absolute domination. They finally get a good start from Marcus Stroman today. It really is first good start with the Mets, so that's an encouraging sign. I mean, I think it's clear they had the best rotation amongst the wild cards teams that are fighting for it. I mean, it's really just a matter of consistency from the bullpen. I mean, that that's all you could ask for right now if you're a Mets fan. That's the only thing that really is holding them back right now from really, really taking that next step forward and hopping into a playoff spot. But, I mean, you talk about the Cubs. I mean, the Cubs are a disaster right now. I mean, Baez goes down. He's pretty much done for the rest of the year unless they find a way to squeak in the playoffs and get a series. And their pitching's been a disaster outside of Darvish. Nothing is going right for them. And then it's just a weird assortment of teams because the D-backs sold the deadline, like you mentioned, no Granky, and they continue to win. The Brewers just lost the best player in baseball, arguably, and they continue to win. This is really unpredictable. I would say the Nationals are the only team in that mix that you'd say, okay, like that's a solidified team right there. The rest are like, okay, they're in, they're out. You really don't know who's going to stick in the race. The Cubs are in there based on name. I agree, but at the same time, I think that's what makes that wild card so dangerous for them because no matter who you play, you're going to be playing someone who's red hot because someone, yeah. one of these four teams has to get hot at some point to take that second wild card spot. And whether it's the Brewers right now who have won six in a row and they plunge forward or if it's the Cubs who get hot at the right time and have a good start at the last minute, again, it comes down to a one-game playoff in the end. And, Eman, I do agree with you that the Nats are clearly better than the bunch, but, I mean, it's really crazy what can happen in a one-game And anything playoff. can happen in one game. Look, you never know what's going to happen in that game. That's what makes it so beautiful. That's the beauty of the system. You name it. Anyone can do anything in the MLB postseason. Now, Jimmy, this is where I think the Mets had a turning point. Watching Monday night's game, you know all the disasters with Edwin Diaz. It seems every time the Mets have been proclaimed buried this season, it's been because Edwin Diaz had a meltdown. And Monday... The Diamondbacks had a chance to take game one of that series, and that would have changed the entire tide. The Mets probably never get back into this race, but you're heading into the ninth inning, up one, Edwin Diaz is warming, and Mickey Callaway goes to Justin Wilson for a second inning of work. He saves the game, Mets win. I think that's a major turning point here. And Justin Wilson had never had a multi-out save in his career, so that was something that... It shows you where this team is at right now, that you have a guy like Justin Wilson, who's never really done more than three outs in his career. Mickey right. Calloway trusts him more than he trusts Edwin Diaz right now. You feel bad for Diaz because to an extent, I just feel like he's broken right now because his stuff is there. You know, fastball is there, slider is not. But it's not like the velocity's down or, or anything like that. It's just hard to watch him on the mound right now because not only do I think it's the slider, but I think also a lot of it's mental. And, like, you get a game like in Washington where you're up 10-4, 
Okay, you get smart. You think, okay, I'm going to go to whoever to get the last three outs, and then it all just falls apart on you. And then you have to turn to Edwin Diaz, and it's like, no, that's not who I want to see right now. Like, you bring him into the game, and it's like you bring the chaos factor up by, like, a million, and he comes into a 10-8 game with runners on second and third? Like, no. That's not the guy you want to bring in to stabilize that kind of a mess, but they had already used Lugo, and that whole bullpen thing just wound up being such a disaster. And I know Mickey Calloway keeps saying, like, we're going to go as Diaz goes. Like, if we're going to be successful this year, Diaz needs to pitch well for us, and that's why he keeps putting him in games, which I agreed with about two months ago. But if the Mets actually want to make the playoffs here, I think they need to stay away. And I think, too, like, Seth Lugo now, right, has kind of assumed that Andrew Miller role multi-inning saves they're using it more sure. conventionally but just can't pitch him back to back can't pitch him back to back he's gonna pitch the eighth and the ninth inning that's gonna be fascinating to see in the playoffs too because he's pitching on a partially toward UCL which has been kind of low-key throughout this whole year where he's been excellent but we'll see how they use him in the playoffs but yeah they use him in the eighth and the ninth and Mickey Calloway made a point of saying we use him one day we're gonna basically make sure that we get the most out of it and that he's not gonna be available tomorrow well, okay, you win today, but look what happens in the games after Seth Lugo gets multi-inning saves. It's usually not pretty, and usually you're looking at Edwin Diaz closing out those games, and that's not good. So I don't think they have a ton of trust in Edwin Diaz right now, but at the same time, you look around at some of the other options. Like you said the other night, Justin Wilson on a four-out save. Yeah, that worked on Tuesday night. Is that going to work in game three of the NLDS? That's very debatable. Oh, you bring up an interesting point there because – you're obviously talking a lot of hypotheticals here yeah. going forward, but, I mean, you just look at what you've gotten from Diaz, and I don't know how you trust the guy at all going forward. That, that, I don't that, think they that, do. That's kind of the state of where I'm at with Edwin Diaz because I, I know you've mentioned the stuff is there clearly. His fastball plays, but he has no trust in his slider whatsoever, and when he's even if he's throwing 99, he's going to have to throw it 100% of the time essentially because he has no off-speed pitch or no breaking pitch that he trusts. I honestly think... It would be worth considering taking him off the playoff roster. Really? Yes. I don't know if you I can. I am at that point with Edwin Diaz. And I, I, I agree him. with that. I agree with that. I don't know if you can. But at the same time, I don't know if you can legitimately use him in a big spot. And if that's the case, then he's just a waste of space. And if point. you look at the games he's blown, like if the Mets get a couple of those meltdown games back and that does not happen, they're probably leading this chase right now. So oh, yeah. and yeah. not only have they been so resilient to bounce back from those games where they were proclaimed dead, but if they had those games, it's a completely different story. Now, we're going to get to some postseason projections with a couple weeks remaining here. Let's flip it over to the other side of town. Yankees, magic number dwindling. They're trying to set up that postseason roster, and it's just a never-ending line of injuries for them. It's been next man up all year long. And then when they got kind of to full strength, everyone was like, oh, who's missing the playoff roster? Who's not going to play? Who's not going to play in the infield? Who's getting snubbed out of the outfield? Well, Talkman's done for the year. Hicks is done for the year. Today, Encarnacion in a bleak strain, he might be done for the year. And Encarnacion, you may not find a hotter hitter in baseball right now. So the Yankees all of a sudden. Man, you love Edwin. They, I love Edwin <laughs> Encarnacion. I, I, can tell. I, I can confess my love right here. There is no one I'd be more feared to face than Encarnacion in the postseason. <laughs> wow. Just him unloading on a 460-foot bomb would have been the most beautiful thing in ALDS game one. All right. Aside from that. Now, you have one guy, essentially, for each spot. The Yankees can't lose another guy or else they're dipping into non-regulars. So, 
Sure, the Yankees are in a great spot. They're battling for home field, but this injury train just keeps rolling on, and now you're looking at one man for one spot, and that's what you're riding with right now. And I think it's interesting, too, because you start thinking about the guys now that you're going to have to carry on the playoff roster, right? Mike, Mike Ford's going to play a lot of first. Right in the playoffs, he won't play a lot, but he's going to be on the bench. He's going to be on the bench. He's going to make the roster, and he's probably going to show up at a game at some point. That wasn't a reality a week ago. No, a a week ago, what you were looking at is deciding whether Gio Urshela, a guy who is hitting three thirty this year with great defense, is going to play. You you were wondering whether you put Lemayhu at third, Didi at short, Torres at second. Oh well, Luke Voigt maybe not play because you only have one first base slot, and then you have a DH slot. So that's what you were deciding a week ago. Now it's all too clear. An oblique strain, you're probably not back for the beginning of the postseason. Best case, he's back in the ALCS. So Urshela at third, Didi at short, Torres at second, Void at first, and then yeah, DH free for all. Uh, let's see what happens. LeMahieu will probably play first base in this case. Yeah. So <laughs> the Yankees have one guy for one slot. They're all quality players, but you're getting a little thin now with Hicks out for the season especially. Yeah, it's it's a good problem until it becomes a bad problem, <laughs> yeah. like you said, because you, you look at what it was a week ago. It was a good problem to have, but I almost don't think it's the worst thing in the world that these injuries are happening just because at least it provides some sort of stability. Clarity. And listen, I'm not saying that the Yankees are better off with Encarnacion and Hicks and all these guys continuing to go out. But now you have some sort of clarity as to who's going to be playing where in the postseason. And listen, I'm one who's saying put the best talent out there, and if you need to mix and match each game, that's fine. But now that this is solidified, I think at least some sort of stability, especially going into the postseason, is important. And even though the Yankees kind of dealt with it all year, I I almost like the spot that the Yankees are in right now. And I think we were a little naive when they started getting the full strength to say, okay, now who's on the playoff roster? Because the Yankees have been hurt so much this year that Mm -hmm. something was bound to happen in a three-week span. So some guys go down. Jackson mentioned the clarity. Let's go to the glass half full aspect of this. Hicks is down for the year. But Brett Gardner's having a career year, and he provides great defense in center field. His OPS was better than Hicks this year, so he's your everyday center fielder. Things worked out for him. Giancarlo Stanton is back on the next homestand. He's your left fielder. Stanton, Gardner, Judge, that sounds like a pretty good outfield to me. Now, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Now let's go in the worse. infield. Gio Urshela, if he had more plate appearances, would be battling for the batting title right now. He's your third baseman. Has a slick love. Didi Gregorius is your shortstop. Glaber Torres has 35 home runs as a 22-year-old. Luke Voigt at first or DJ LeMahieu at first. The other plays DH. Look, these are good problems to have. And the Yankees can't lose any other guys, but glass half full, these are just guys being rewarded, and you're still having nine quality hitters in that lineup. I mean, the Yankees have uptown problems. Which right. aren't problems at all, as they say in Moneyball. So anyway, I think that uh, it's interesting to look at. However, I think there are going to be certain times and certain games where the Yankees look down that lineup. And yes, I know it's really good, but they're going to miss guys like Hicks and Encarnacion if he's not there. And Stanton, they just are. Oh, they have to. I mean, the Indians a couple years ago lost Edwin Encarnacion for games three and four at Yankee Stadium. They really missed him. He's just a guy you don't want to face. He's a dangerous hitter. He's a disciplined hitter. He's a postseason hitter in that he knows how to hit. Like, he's a guy who not only hits for power, but he can put the bat on the ball when he needs to. He controls the zone very well. So, I I wanted Encarnacion in that playoff lineup. We'll still see. Maybe this isn't a strain. It's a tightness or something like that. Could be back sooner than what Aaron Judge missed earlier in the year. It was two months because it was a severe oblique strain. So, we'll see what happens, but... Yes, Hicks is going to be missed. That's a switch hitter with power, elite defense. But, again, 
now you're getting guys back. Yeah. Giancarlo Stanton is going to be back. There's mm-hmm. a former MVP, only two years removed, and he's going to be your left fielder. Judge is playing really well. Torres is playing really well. Sanchez has been great since his last stint on the IL. So you have a lot of things going well right now, and it's almost always been addition and subtraction the entire year for the Yankees. Like, Encarnacion goes down today. Voight has a huge day. So maybe he's coming around. Yeah. So <laughs> that next man up thing is just laughable at this point because it always works out. And then on the pitching side, Severino's starting on Tuesday for the Yankees. Dylan Batances is coming back. Montgomery's coming back. And you add that to James Paxson, who's been brilliant in the second half of the year. So uptown problems, it's just it's almost a headache at this point when you see all these injuries continue to unfold. My only concern with a guy like Severino coming back, having not pitched all year, coming back in the middle of September with the rehab, how much are you going to get out of him? Correct. And, and I think what you get out of him at this point is a bonus because you're not going to count on him to be like the guy he was last year at this point in the season. I just don't think that's real. He's like a game four starter. He's a game yeah. four starter. He's a guy that maybe swing they man. bring him out of the pen. Swing man, like you said. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe he'll be dominant in that role. Maybe if he gives you three dominant innings, like in that role in a potential clinching game, like you're thrilled with that, right? I mean, yeah. like that's Jackson, we were, you, we were tracking in. his rehab game, and like command could be a concern, especially since this is like a spring training for Severino, mm-hmm. but. When you look at where he is at this point building up, he's now at 65 pitches. His first start in the bigs will be 80 pitches. You could get him to 100 realistically by the playoffs. He's throwing 98. It's not like this guy is hurt. It's not like he's debilitated. It's just a matter of, okay, he was tipping pitches last year. He was fatigued last year. Is the fresh version of Severino first half 2018 Severino, which would be a game changer. If he's not, what really is he? That's the great question about it, and it's also a great spot for the Yankees because you have to think they haven't been planning to have him all along. The Yankees have been preparing, like, we're going to go in without Severino. If we get him, great. If we don't, then Hmm. we've been preparing for this all along. And you look at them starting-wise right now in the postseason. I mean, Paxton's obviously figured it out, so you can use him in a game one if you want, or you can use him in a game three on the road if you want. Herman's been great at home, so you figure he's going to get one of the first two games. And Tanaka's Tanaka. You could throw him really wherever you want, and he's going to be fine. Game four is where it gets a little sticky because you can go in so many different directions. You I mean, do a bullpen game. I mean, you mentioned Montgomery could possibly be back and use him in a shorter inning role. That could create a bullpen game. The bullpen game itself is an option. And then Severino also is a secondary option. I think he's going to end up being a guy who's almost going to be like Jobber Chamberlain back in the day when he got initially got called up, where he's just a guy that Aaron can, Aaron Boone can go to to just get outs when he needs outs. And I think that's almost the perfect role for him right now because you look at the starting situation, I think the Yankees are better off going with a bullpen day in a game four where he possibly ends up getting used than trying to rely on him to go 80 pitches and four innings. If he can do that, great, but I just don't know if there's – one, enough trust in him to do that at this point, coming back mid-September. And two, there's a lot of pressure on that, yeah. too, in a Game 4, especially if it gets to a Game 4, that's a situation where the Yankees probably don't want to be in and have to rely on Severino. For and if he's pitches. starting, you can almost start him and then say, okay, we ride this train as long as it goes. Does he look good? Does he not look good? How many innings can he give us? And one thing I love what the Yankees have been doing lately is stretching some of these guys out, like a Chad Green. He hasn't thrown under 35 pitches in like five outings, and he's excelled in that role. So if they use a bullpen game, it's not like Chad Green's throwing one inning. He could throw three. Severino could throw three. And then all of a sudden, you're in the seventh inning and Adam Adovino. So I love what the Yankees can potentially do with the entire staff. And I think the most important thing that you mentioned, aside from Severino, anything's a plus there. 
James Paxton has turned into an ace. Like the last nine starts, he's been a front-end American League starter. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. So you could throw him anywhere. The home road splits for Domingo Herman and Masahiro Tanaka are alarming. Like you don't want to start him on the road right now. But Paxton, you could start anywhere. And he proved that in Fenway Park his last outing. He can throw anywhere and he can throw dominantly. When they picked him up in the offseason, their options were basically him or go out spend a lot of money, get Patrick Corbin, or try to do both. But basically, it was probably going to be one, one or the of the other. Two, it was yeah. probably going to be one or the other. And I was honestly happier they got Paxton because I thought this is a guy who throws 97-98 easily. He's a lefty, so that changes the entire dynamic of your rotation just right off the bat. And look, I think he had a hard time adjusting to playing in Yankee Stadium. I mean, you go from playing in Seattle to playing in Yankee Stadium. Honestly, it's not that much different from what Sonny Gray went through, right? With, you know, Oakland and Extreme Pitchers Park, Yankee Stadium, incredibly not. Same thing with Seattle and going to Yankee Stadium. And I think there was some struggle there. And also, he was kind of getting hit hard. Kind of just an enigma for the first three, four months of the season. And really, in the last month or so, or maybe even six weeks, he started to figure it out and started to pitch like he's been capable of pitching. And I think that's really helped the Yankees, too, because... They have a lot more reliance in him because before he broke through, there wasn't really a lot of people you were going to trust in that Yankees rotation aside from Tanaka and Herman at home. The, the Yankees really haven't lost a season, them, yeah. but like there was a dark point for that starting rotation. Yeah. There were there were a couple weeks there where that one week where they gave up like forty yeah right before the forty two runs yeah. in like six starts. It was the series that they lost three out of four to Boston on the weekend, and they needed that Sunday night yeah. game or else the division would have gotten interesting. But like, there was a dark point for that rotation. And then ever since the trade deadline, that's when Paxton took off. He took off, and then Herman's been steady. Like, his numbers aren't great this year. He has the wins. But mm-hmm. the one thing with the Yankees that you know is when Domingo Herman takes the ball, they've won. And that's what you want in a guy you're going to task with a playoff outing. Tanaka's a guy you know. Severino's a guy you know. We'll see what they get out of him. And then you know what you're getting in the bullpen because when Tommy Canley, Zach Britton, Adam Adovino and Aroldis Chapman all pitch in the game. They haven't lost. Yep, they haven't yep. lost this year. So uh, that's a that's a good thing to have going into the postseason. It's interesting how they're going to handle game one and two because Herman has looked like a possible game one starter for them all year. Just with one, obviously, they're going to be home, and that's where he pitches so well. But two, obviously, with the Matt, they've won games. But it's interesting to me if they would use him in a game one just because of the pressure that's going to be on. I mean, listen, you're opening up your playoff run with a guy who, what he's not a rookie, but this is only his second year. First year starting and never yeah. in a playoff yes. scenario. And I think I think Tanaka's the perfect guy to go out in a game one and go get you a win. Honestly, that that's how I look at it. Just because we obviously have seen what Tanaka's been able to do in the postseason. I mean, he's been so dominant in big spots, whether it's been last year or the year before against Cleveland. He just seems like the perfect guy to go out in game one and then Especially if you take that first game, you put Herman in a great situation in game two where there's really not a ton of pressure on him. You win, great, you're in command and control. If you lose, you're not out of the series. Correct. Here, let me flip this on you guys. So you start Tanaka game one, you lose game one. Game two is even more pressure packed for Herman. Yep. You start Herman game one, it's almost like if we get the typical Herman outing, great. Let's say you're facing Verlander in the ALCS. Mm-hmm. Herman Verlander, if Herman's at his best, he goes toe-to-toe with Verlander. If he's not, you lose 9 nothing, and then you want to knock in the pressure-packed game, too, where you're down one nothing in the series. So it's almost like you got to pick your poison. Yeah. Like, like who do you want if and, you lose? And I can honestly see them switching it series by series because I think in the ALDS, obviously it depends who they end up playing, but like if you end up with an Oakland or a Cleveland in that series or possibly Minnesota, it could be depending on how home field ends up playing out. I mean, 
I think it makes more sense to go Tanaka in Game 1 in against anyone but Houston. I think that's a great point about the Verlander. Listen, you'll throw away a Verlander start if you have to to get Tanaka in a, in a better spot in Game 2. But And listen, you're not throwing away the game in Game 1 because obviously Herman, we know what Herman can do. Let's can also consider that you're not only facing Verlander in that series, but Cole and Granke and Miley. So yeah. uh, like, it's not like Game 2 is a given if you lose to Verlander, but at least it puts you in a spot where you have a guy you know can produce in the playoffs in a Game 2 setting. But also remember, too, that with the Yankees, it's not about just, okay, Domingo Herman facing Justin Verlander. It's really like, Domingo Herman and Justin Verlander innings one through five, and then you turn it over to the bullpen, and then you kind of take your chances there. So if you scrape across two runs on Justin Verlander, get the typical Domingo Herman start, you can win that game 2-1, walk out of there having stolen one of Verlander's starts, because there is a chance if the Astros can do it the way they want to, where he could start game one, game four, game seven, if he has to. So you don't want that. That's obviously like the nightmare scenario. That's that's doomsday for the Yankees, basically, if, if he's able to do that. But... You have to remember, too, that it's not just straight, okay, Domingo Herman against Justin Verlander. Well, that sounds like a, a mismatch, and it is. But if Domingo Herman can get you through five innings, you turn it over to that bullpen, you're going to give yourselves a chance. I think the entire postseason is going to be like Yankee pitching staff versus the opposing starter. I think that's how it's going to go. And even look at what the Yankees are doing in the nightcap today against the Tigers. CC Sabathia starts, Domingo Herman piggybacks him. Domingo Herman as a reliever in his career has like a 2-2 ERA, and his stuff plays up out of the bullpen. So – whether it's Severino or Herman or anyone, I think there's a good chance they're going to piggyback a lot of these games and basically do a little bit of what the Red Sox yeah. did last year and use some of their starters in a relief capacity. And really, those games they win against Houston are all going to be like steel games. It's going to be like, oh, wow, the Yankees got by Verlander with using five guys out of the bullpen. And, and I think they have to, too, because we looked at that Red Sox series last year, right? The Friday game, the Yankees lose, but they lose by one. They make the Red Sox go through a lot of their bullpen. They take the Saturday game, and we're all sitting around thinking, all right, the Yankees are going to come home. They're going to win two in a row. They're going to go to the ALCS. That obviously didn't happen because the Yankee pitching got torched. So and Lance Lynn pitched the third well, inning of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't like to talk about that, but, you know, <laughs> that was kind of a mess. But, yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think the Yankees kind of have to because, you know, their rotation is not as good as the Astros, obviously. No, no one is going to contend that. It's no not, one is. It's not even as good if they play the Indians. You know, the Indians probably have a better rotation than the Yankees do at this point, too. So, you know, they, they're kind of limited with their options, but this is where Aaron Boone is going to really earn his stripes because he's got to figure out how am I going to use my bullpen? I might have to use an opener or a bullpen game. How am I going to use that too? And I think, you know, there's going to be some pressure situations in the playoffs and Aaron Boone didn't do great with those last year. That's my only concern, but look, all year he's done a great job. And if he carries that into the playoffs, then he's one area where I don't think Yankee fans should be nearly as concerned as they were last year because the inexperience showed last year. But I think he's a year wiser and a year better. And there have been some major adjustments in Boone's game. All It's like been a different Aaron Boone second year on the job. So we'll see what happens. And I do think there are a lot of smart minds in that Yankee front office who are all going to come together and basically formulate that plan. Like Aaron Boone's going to go into that game with a plan formulated by a lot of bright minds who know what yeah. the heck is going on. So these these plans are being made. Yes. Well, let's, let's be clear. It's not just Aaron Boone who's no, the no. only mind in that dugout. Even though he theoretically is the only guy making actual decisions on the spot, like you said, there's a lot of people that are going into this decision as well. And, Jimmy, I think you bring up a good point about experience. I'm not one to really harp on experience being a huge factor, but I think it is in this case specifically for Boone just seeing what he went through last year, particularly in Game 3 when he allowed Lance Lynn to come into the game and the game really spiraled out of control from there for him. 
I, I think he's learned from last year, and I think going forward, that experience, particularly in Game 3, just because that was a game that wasn't over and that was essentially lost because of what he did bringing Lance Lynn in that spot. So I, I think he's learned from what happened, and I think going forward it's going to be huge for him and huge for the Yankees. And good weapons kind of accumulating at this point, whether it's a Herman or a Severino out of the bullpen. May need to pull something like Girardi did in 2017, bring Green in in the first inning. Like, Adam Adovino shouldn't be excluded out of the second inning of a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the type of tough decisions that don't necessarily look right on paper, but Aaron Boone and the rest of the staff is going to have to make. Well, Joe Madden did this a few years ago. I think it was back in 2013. He had a playoff game. It was game three or game four against the Red Sox where they were playing, and they did what the Yankees wound up having to do in 2017. But it, it was funny because Luis Severino goes out there, and we were talking about the Herman Tanaka dilemma. Right, you could be looking at the same thing this year because Severino was in his first playoff game in 2017, and clearly in that wild card game, at least not up to the task, very overwhelmed. Uh, only faced what was it, four batters, I think it was, and didn't get an out. Uh, yeah, and he did, and he didn't get an out. And Joe Girardi had to pull the quick hook. He had no other choice because if he left Severino in, it was going to be seven, eight, however, who knows how many runs. Domingo Herman's going to go through the same thing. Now, I'm not saying he's going to necessarily get torched, but I'm saying. First sign of trouble, you need to have people up in the bullpen because that's the type of thing in a playoff game, you know, kind of first career game, guys can really get overwhelmed because we saw it happen to Luis Severino, who, when he's healthy, is one of the best pitchers in baseball, and there's no reason why it can't necessarily happen to Domingo Herman. And look, everyone kind of has that struggle in the playoffs at some point. Like, unless you're Bumgarner or one of the all-time greats, like, you look at CeCe Sabathia's career postseason, like, he's had bad outings. He's remembered for a lot of the good outings that he's had with the Mm. Yankees, and they'll probably look back on his career as a good postseason performer. But everyone has those downs, and it's a matter of how you bounce back. Herman's probably going to have a blow-up outing in in his postseason, and it's going to be a matter of how the Yankees manage that game, if they're able to salvage that game, and whether he bounces back from there. So it's kind of a tricky uh, gray area for the Yankees. It's funny you mentioned the early hook because we talked about really Lance Lynn being the only mistake. I mean, he left Severino for a few batters too many yeah. in Game 3. If I remember correctly, he left Sabathia in way, way too many batters too in Game 4, too. That, so, was I mean, the, that was a tough game because I think the Yankees really could have won that game yep. if he takes the They lost by one. Yeah. 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 And, and people point to the Christian Vasquez home run off yeah, Zach, Zach Britton. But when you look at how long he went with CeCe, I believe CeCe entered the fourth inning of that game mm-hmm. when he got rocketed in the third inning and was yep. lucky to get out alive. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, okay. You have a locked and loaded bullpen, elimination game. Mm-hmm. What's a 38-year-old CC Sabathia doing on the mound? And I think Boone is going to learn from situations like that where it's time for the bullpen. It's time for a fresh arm. So it should be interesting. Time will tell. Yankees headed towards the division title. Mets looking to hold on for dear life. Let's go through some uh, projections with a couple weeks Oof. left in the season. So let's start in the American League where that wild card race is we getting even talked about that one very <laughs> interesting three teams for two spots and they're all within like a half a game of one another yep. Rays A's Indians who are your wild card teams uh I'm gonna go kind of compatible so preseason what I picked was Yankees in the east Astros in the west Indians in the central and then my wild cards were Boston and Tampa Bay Boston obviously is not same happening exact thing. Boston is actually like not happening at all um so games out I'm going to keep all the division winners the same. The only one that's really in question is Minnesota. They've got a four-game lead over Cleveland, five in the loss column, but I think I think they're going to be able to hang on to that. Yeah, yeah, they've kind of turned it around the last couple of weeks, started pitching a little better. I think my wild cards, I'm going to say 
I like Tampa. I, I like love what they're doing. I right like now. Tampa too, and I'm gonna. I, I still just think Cleveland's too talented to miss out on this. I, I I still feel like even though they had all that underachieving, and there's gonna be a really good team that misses the playoffs in the AL because there are six really good teams. Oakland's really good. Oakland's really good. Cleveland's really good. Tampa Bay's really good. One of these teams is gonna miss. I'm gonna go with Cleveland. I'm gonna go with Cleveland, even though Oakland's gotten some reinforcements in the bullpen. AJ Puck just came up, so mm-hmm. yeah, I'm still gonna go with Cleveland. I really like Oakland. I think Cleveland's going to end up missing out this year, and it's not because Trevor Bauer got traded, but I just I don't think the starting pitching is nearly where it specifically needs to be for them to end up making the postseason just because the lineup is so poor as it is. Even though they've gotten a great second half from Jose Ramirez and obviously Lindor has come around and they went out and got Puig and Franmil Reyes, I really like what Oakland's doing. And I think you look at their infield, it's probably the second-best infield in baseball behind the Yankees, arguably. And you look at the pitching, and you brought up Puck. They just brought up Lazardo too, who looked nasty against Houston. <sighs> that two-seamer oh spun gosh. off last I mean, night. They're going to use him in the playoffs if they get there, too. They have so many different options they can use out of the bullpen. I mean, Liam Hendricks has had a terrific year. Puck's going to be a guy they can use in situations. Lazardo is one of those guys who I can see easily being in that Severino role. But I, I think it's going to be Tampa. I think it's going to be Oakland because I think they have enough starting pitching. They just got Manaya back, too, who's been really good since he came back into the rotation. And they have so many options with their pitching, and they're really hot right now. So I, I think it's going to be Oakland and Tampa in the wild cards. And, I, and like you mentioned, I think Minnesota's going to hold on in the central with the Yankees and the Astros winning their respective divisions. Interesting, just you got to hope Liam Hendricks doesn't pitch at Yankee Stadium in the playoffs because you saw it again with Mike Ford teeing off on him a couple of weeks ago. And Gardner. And Gardner. So so just stay away. Stay at Oakland Coliseum if you're the Oakland A's. So I have the A's. I do have the Rays. And what what a ratings boost for baseball. Rays, A's <laughs> at Tropicana Field on ESPN for the wild card game. I mean, baseball purist fans, you gotta love it. Yeah, you gotta love something like that. Is that happening. like uh, Dodgers Giants in '51? That's right. gotta be up there, right? What? What we get? Charlie Morton and like Mike Fires. <laughs> Maybe Manaya. Honestly, I'd probably Mania. go Manaya at this point. One of them like, might do a bullpen game. Yeah. You know, Honestly, they might go bullpen against bullpen. I Who could, knows? I could see. I could see. Uh, Kevin Cash Bob, is going to do it. I can see Bob Melvin <laughs> throwing out Lazardo to start a game. Yeah. Well, Open Bob Hendricks again two years in a row? No, don't do that. Going like Lazardo against, like, I don't know, whoever you want out of Tampa Bay's bullpen. Morton, Glasnow, whoever, in. yeah. Yeah, I, Tampa's interesting because I think they can give someone a tough series. Yep. If they have Snell back, too, and Snell's Yankees, cooking, they could give yep. him a tough series because, look, those top three you do not want to face. Mm-hmm. And the bullpen, the bullpen's obviously great from Tampa. I mean, Glasnow, obviously, you'd love him in the rotation, but he's going to be a huge factor out of the bullpen for them. They go deep into that back end, just so many different arms of high quality. So I, I think the AL is going to be very interesting, and the wild card game, I think, is going to have a big influence on how this playoff picture is going to end up. So interesting race in the AL. We all agree on that. So let's go National League. And it's like five teams. You want me to start? Yeah, I'll let's start. Go ahead. I'll start. You seem like you need some more. I, I do need some time. I think Milwaukee's going to come out with that second mm. wild card spot. Um, I think the Cubs are a disaster right now. I think it's really going to come down to Milwaukee and the Mets between those two teams. And I, I could honestly end up seeing us get getting something like we did in 2013 where we have the wild card game before the wild card game where we had what it was like Cleveland and Texas or no it was Tampa Bay and Texas and then it was Tampa Bay and Cleveland 
But I, I think it's going to be really tight between Milwaukee and the Mets. I, I know Yelich just went down, but I think Milwaukee's bullpen is a real difference maker for them, and I think they have enough starting pitching to stay in that second wild card spot. You look at what they did today against the Marlins. They end up winning 3-2, but Gio Gonzalez only goes four innings. The bullpen comes out and throws five hitless innings with 10 strikeouts. They added Drew Pomerantz to the deadline. He's been great out of the bullpen. You obviously have Hader, who's been phenomenal. Peralta. They have so many different arms they can use in that situation, and they have also a situation where they can use a lot of their starters in relief if they have to, too. So I like Milwaukee in that second wild card spot. I think the Nats are obviously going to be the top team in terms of hosting that wild card game. But I don't think it really matters all that much who wins that second wild card spot. I think the Nationals are the team to get through that. Just you can't beat Max Scherzer in a one game playoff. That that that's how I see it. We'll see. Uh, Jacob Degrom. Yeah, <laughs> unless lose a lot unless of big games. you have Jacob Degrom. Yeah. But at the same time, Mets bullpen. That's uh, yeah, that's true. Well, the Nationals bullpen's pretty bad too. I mean, when you also think fair. about it that one. I mean, you've got. Fernando. Hey, the, the last Scherzer Degrom was game was eleven ten. So I, yeah. I probably shouldn't even say anything, but. Yeah, and it was like four one when they were both out of yeah. the game. So <laughs> yeah, you've got Fernando Rodney pitching, you know, big eighth and ninth innings for them at forty two years mm-hmm. old, still dealing. But yeah, I-, I do look at this as well as who's going to join Washington. I honestly believe, and this is a hot take, I think Washington's the most talented team in the National League. That wow. includes the Dodgers. It's arguable. That includes it is the arguable, Dodgers. Yeah. They, they're really good. They're really good. It's just their bullpen's blown too many games for them, and I think that'll ultimately be their undoing. They could take out the Dodgers first Oh, they round. could absolutely take out the Dodgers. Listen, the Dodgers do not want to see them. Um, you know, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Out of all these teams right now, the Mets are kind of best positioned because <laughs> after this weekend series with the Dodgers, they've got three in Colorado, three in Cincinnati, then four with Miami. And they've mostly survived this gauntlet of a schedule that they've had over the last two, three weeks. Well, well here's the thing. They're still over 500. And they're, still, they're six games over 500 now with the sweep today. Well, here's the thing. You want to hear Milwaukee's schedule. This is where it also gets interesting. They have three at St. Louis this weekend, which is tough. But after that, home against San Diego – Home against Pittsburgh, at Cincinnati, at Colorado. Yeah, so you can't ask for much easier than that. That's tough, but I still think the Yelich injury is going to hurt them somewhere at some point down the line. Mm-hmm. My gut says Mets right now, and I'm not saying that from a point of oh, bias. They pulled you I, back they in, and they're not letting you go. And they're not letting you go. Yes, they have. It's just the thing is right now, right? You you deal with that pitching, right? If the bullpen's just good enough, if the bullpen doesn't blow any of don't these games. Don't use DS. Don't use DS. Exactly. Yes. Don't do not do that. I'm not saying this from a point of bias, but honestly, I think health-wise, schedule-wise, combine everything out of these teams, they're the best position. The Cubs are falling apart at the seams. The Phillies are a massive disappointment after everything they did in the offseason. Arizona's probably out of it now. Even though they're only three and a half back, I I, I got to go with the Mets. It's funny to me because no one even like thinks to consider the Phillies ever in yeah. this discussion. Because they've been stagnant for like three months. I think they've been five they're, they're over for so, like— They're just so irrelevant. They're so irrelevant. They're, they're, so they're not average, too. They're, like... I'm putting an E next to their name. They're eliminated. <laughs> they're eliminated even though they're not mathematically eliminated. So, Jimmy, I'm kind of with you that the Mets are in a very good position right now. So much can happen because it's five teams. I'm praying for a five-way tie because baseball <laughs> doesn't have a plan for that. So I'm going Brewers slash Mets. I don't know who it's going to be. I like the Brewers. I like Greg Council. I, I I like what they have going there, even without Yelich. I also don't think it's a great spot for the Mets to have to jump two teams. That includes the Cubs and the Brewers. Nah, just, so yeah, just I'm one. not picking Mets, 
But I think it's going to be either the Brewers or the Mets in that second spot, and they'll have to go to Washington to play the yeah, game. Yeah, and just keep one thing in mind here. All of these teams that the Mets are going up against, Milwaukee, Chicago, Philly, I'm going to keep Arizona out of this for now. They lost the season series against all of those teams. So if there is a game 163, it would not be at City Field. It would be at any of those locales. Interesting. I just want to throw that in. Just characterizing throwing that the in. kind of shakiness of this Mets season. If we're throwing in tidbits, I got one too. The NL Central isn't over yet. People are kind of throwing it like the Cardinals are winning. Six meetings between the Cubs and Cardinals. Not only that, Milwaukee goes into St. Louis this weekend. If they sweep the Cardinals, they're within a half a game of the division. So things get get interesting. And they're tied in the win. Yep, and the Cardinals also have to play the Nationals too. So that could get really interesting down the stretch. I still think the Cardinals are going to win the division. I think they're the most talented team, and I think they're a team that can be dangerous come postseason time. But... That is not over yet. Keep in mind, that's the one division basically in baseball right now where there are a lot of head-to-heads going on. Mm -hmm. So that division being decided kind of creates a door for the Mets. So like Mm -hmm. them beating each other up, if the Mets can win consistently over the next two weeks, they may just slip into that spot and hold on to it. So interesting time. A lot of New York baseball talk going on. It's playoff time, and both teams are within striking distance. Yankees pulling away. Mets on the come up. Can't we'll ask we'll see more. what happens. I mean, baseball in New York is just better when they're both good, right? Absolutely, and we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll have another Subway series uh, 19 years removed. Stop. Yeah. You're not Charlie from Manhattan. <laughs> come on. Absolutely not happening. <laughs> All right. That's been Nosebleeds. We'll see you next week.